The Old Pilot's Plain Tales Dr. Christmas and His Bullet There are many things that one might want to be remembered for. A fine physician, a pioneer aviator, a renowned aeronautical researcher, an inspired inventor, but perhaps not as the greatest charlatan ever to see his name associated with an airplane, even though his scout fighter, the Christmas Bullet, had a perfect kill record. It killed everyone who ever tried to fly it. William Whitney Christmas was born in North Carolina back in 1865, and he was lucky enough to be given an excellent education. Firstly, at the St. John's Military Academy, and then the University of Virginia, where he obtained first his bachelor's and then his master's degree. He moved on to the George Washington University, where he became a doctor of medicine. So far, so good. The eminent Dr. Christmas had made a great start to his life. The early 1900s were an exciting time, particularly for anyone with an interest in technology and making money. A couple of guys who built bicycles had invented the world's first aeroplane and were sitting on a potential fortune. Surely, if they could do it, a doctor with a master's degree could do it much better and make a mountain of wealth. In 1908, Christmas, without a jot of experience in aircraft design or aeronautical work of any kind, started claiming that he had built and flown an aircraft of his own design, but sadly he couldn't show anyone as he destroyed the aircraft and all the evidence of it to protect the secret design. Later, he built a second aircraft called the Red Bird, and later the Redbird II, which he flew and patented, despite it being a near-exact copy of the Aerial Experimental Association Red Wing, designed by Thomas Selfridge. He even stole part of the name. In the words of one historian, the eccentric Dr. Christmas was not above employing the ideas of others, and may well have patented another company's design. Nothing had been discovered to show that these machines were the result of Christmas's own work. He managed to persuade Creed Fulton, Lester MacLeod, and Thomas Buckley to back him, and together they founded the Christmas Aeroplane Company. Within a year, Fulton would sue his business partners for chicanery, Christmas asked the court to dismiss the suit, and the cause ended in October 1912. It was struck from the docket with the note, it appearing to the court that there is nothing further to be done therein. Fulton and the others had advanced over $100,000 to Christmas and were left with nothing substantial. Fulton, Buckley and MacLeod faded into history. For Christmas, however, the suit was only a minor blip in his larger-than-life story. Not to be discouraged, 
he continued to be a presence in airshows, shamelessly promoting himself despite his utter lack of engineering skills or evidence to support his wild claims. With the outbreak of the First World War, Christmas thought that he might have found the perfect opportunity to get back in the game. He wrote an article for the New York Times claiming that he had designed a wonderful new bomber dubbed the Battle Cruiser. He assured his readers that it would be the largest aircraft ever built and promised that it would be a revolutionary success. Manned by a crew of six and powered by a massive 1,600-horsepower engine, he claimed that European allies had already placed orders for 11 battle cruisers. Christmas only had three problems. He had no aircraft, no such engine, and no orders. As his idea to get the US government to fund his imaginary bomber vanished into mist, he did manage to persuade a pair of New York brokers, brothers Henry and Alfred McCarry, to fund a new flying idea, a super-pursuit plane called the Christmas Bullet. Together, the three men paid a visit to New York Senator James Wolcott Wadsworth, and then to the Continental Aircraft Company of Long Island, where Christmas began to spin a fantastic tale. Using his talent for persuasion, he managed to convince the management, including the brilliant engineer Vincent Bernelli, that his planned aircraft would be the key element in an audacious plot to kidnap Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany. He assured his astonished audience that his aircraft's supposedly incredible performance would allow it to penetrate German airspace thus allowing America to kidnap the Emperor, forcing the Reich to capitulate. Perhaps fortuitously, the Germans surrendered before this insane plan could go ahead, but even so, Continental Aircraft started work on two designs for the Christmas Aeroplane Company. Continental's chief engineer Bernelli expressed major concerns about the bullet's wing design, but was overruled and only allowed to work on the fuselage. Bernelli's worries centred on the flexible wing design that Christmas claimed was the revolutionary component that would give the aircraft its unparalleled speed and manoeuvrability. Christmas claimed that struts and braces were unnecessary, and that this lack of support would allow the wings of the plane to flap like a bird. Using steel from sawmill blades, the wing spars were made in two sections, welded in the middle, and designed to flex upwards. Despite all indications that the lack of internal support and the presence of vulnerable welds at the critical point would prove fatal, Christmas insisted that this would actually increase the aircraft's safety. The rest of the construction materials were apparently scrounged from available wood and steel stock and not aircraft grade, said Bernelli. Using a prototype Liberty 6 engine on loan from the US military, likely given to Christmas on the insistence of Senator Wadsworth, the Army demanded that they be allowed to inspect the plane and that the engine must only be used for ground testing. 
conditions which Christmas promptly ignored. Benelli told Christmas the upper wing must not be built as intended, but the inventor had insisted that it be made as he designed. This left a joint that you could have snapped over your knee, declared Bernelli. Christmas persisted, covering the wings with a burlap-like fabric that stretched where it should have shrunk, and then gave it numerous coats of acetate dope. According to Benelli, the wings were so heavy that they had to be winched into place, and the tail assembly was considered too small for so heavy a plane. It was a death trap, Benelli said, and then to his horror he discovered that Christmas and his aircraft company were planning on a test flight. Benelli made his concerns known, but was ignored, and so he resigned from the company in protest. The Bullet's first test pilot was a man named Cuthbert Mills, a former army aviator who was so proud of being selected as the test pilot for this supposed cutting-edge aircraft, invited his mother to watch him take the Bullet on its first flight. Mrs Mills could only watch in horror as the bullet's wing failed a few hundred feet in the air, leaving her son to spiral to his death over the property of one E.J. Jennings. The landing was hard and the unfortunate pilot burned to death. Utterly unrepentant, Christmas would cover up the incident and claim the test flight was a resounding success. In this, Christmas had a collaborator, in the form of a writer, D.J. Villett, who penned an article for Popular Aviation, praising the bullet and claiming it was a great success. He wrote that, after the somewhat malicious predictions as to the ship's inability to fly at all were agreeably refuted, the first trial flight took place on December the 3rd. He went on to describe a fictitious event. The Christmas bullet took off after a very short run and showed a speed of 190 miles per hour. The aircraft was described as having inherent lateral stability and a climbing ability seemingly out of proportion to the power available. After claiming a further four successful test flights, the story reassured all by stating that the aircraft was inspected in the factory. Since no defects were determined, a further flight occurred, where, apparently, the pilot received explicit instructions to take off and fly a large circle, which should have brought him back to his starting point. However, the unfortunate dead pilot had his reputation blackened, when Villette insisted that instead... Mills headed west, skimming over the treetops with a foot to spare, as was his wont, and flew out of sight. When they found the wreckage, despite first claiming that there were no eyewitnesses, Villette insisted that the pilot had executed a sharp turn in a small clearing and struck the trees, planting the blame firmly into the dead pilot's lap. Vincent Benelli who stayed in touch with the project, gave a very different account. Several pilots, he asserted, refused to fly the bullet before Mills agreed to do so. On his first try, 
The wings fell off, and it crashed, killing him. At least I figured, wrote Benelli, that this would be the end of the Christmas bullet. But I underestimated the dock. Despite the crash, Christmas placed an ad in Flying magazine, stating that the Christmas bullet achieved a 197-mile-an-hour top speed, demonstrated in front of Colonel Harmon at Central Park, Long Island. I might point out that, at the time, the official world speed record was only 126 miles an hour. Having wrecked the borrowed engine, Christmas managed to acquire another from the army, and then spent months parading the unflown second bullet around Madison Square Gardens and the New York Air Show, claiming it to be the safest, easiest plane in the world, whilst shamelessly promoting his contraption to the media. Flight magazine noted that it would seem that the design and construction of the aircraft would result in a low factor of safety, but reassured readers that the designer claims a safety factor of seven throughout. No mention was made of the unfortunate mills. A month later, Christmas was ready to try and fly the bullet again. The next test pilot was a man by the name of Arlington Jolly, a decorated war veteran who served with distinction in the French Air Force. Shortly after taking off, Jolly lost control of the aircraft which plummeted into a barn, killing him instantly. This incident was also quietly ignored and Christmas and the McCrory brothers would subsequently appear in an issue of Vanity Fair, promoting the bullet's flawless safety record. But without an aircraft to show the army, the Christmas Aeroplane Company withdrew their design from consideration before an assessment could be attempted. Despite getting away with it all so far, Christmas must have realised that he couldn't keep killing people. Further production and testing of the bullet was halted, although he continued trying to sell the bullet to the military. During a testimony to the House Select Committee on Expenditures in the War Department, he claimed it had dramatically outperformed contemporary British and French fighters. Christmas insisted to Congress that he had photographic evidence of several successful test flights, but the negatives were hidden or destroyed by the government as part of a malevolent conspiracy against him. Employing his gift of charm one last time, he was able to sell his 1921 patent, incorporating his revised wing designs, to the U.S. Army for $100,000. In another version of the story, he maintained that the U.S. Army had given him the money to avoid a copyright infringement suit. But by 1923, and to the relief of those early test pilots, he'd called it quits. Christmas continued to campaign for more funding for further projects, seeking out private and government sources, claiming hundreds of patents or patent submissions based on his aeronautical research. He never stopped making outrageous claims, 
insisting that Germany had offered him one million dollars to rebuild their air force, and that he had invented the aileron, yet somehow never seemed to lose any credibility for it. In reality, the concept of the aileron was first patented in 1868 by British scientist Matthew Piers Watt Bolton, although its development can also be credited to many notables, such as Octave Chanute, John Montgomery, Richard Pierce, Alberto Santos Dumont, Frederick Baldwin, Henry Farman, Louis Blériot, and many others, all of whom have a prior claim to Christmas. However, it seems that the George Washington University continues to promote the myth, crediting him with designing the first plane equipped with ailerons. No one tells his story better than William Christmas himself. Writing to the US Air Force's General Charles Spatz in 1947, Christmas laid out his credentials. My discoveries and inventions has made the aviation industry what it is today. He claimed sole credit for the aileron, the most important invention in aviation, among 400 other inventions. After declaring that the present design of planes is all wrong, he finally got to his request which was to be commissioned by the Air Force to design the fastest plane in the world. His justification was that he'd done it before, in 1918, with the Christmas bullet. That's what stands out as the most unbelievable part of the Christmas bullet story. After misleading a senator, misappropriating an engine from the U.S. Army, manipulating a major aircraft corporation, killing two men and swindling the government out of a large sum of money, Christmas suffered no repercussions whatsoever and continued to live a life of wealth and success. He would end up as the vice president of the General Development Corporation a Miami-based real estate company that would crumble under the weight of thousands of lawsuits, criminal fraud charges, and finally bankruptcy pleadings. By the time that happened, Dr. William W. Christmas, described by historians as a conman and a psychopath, and more generously by the Smithsonian Institute as a pioneer in aeronautical research, would have passed away. His lasting legacy, though, was to build what is considered by many experts in the field to be the worst aircraft ever constructed. If you enjoyed this story, then please tell your friends about it and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. Find us at airlinepilotguy.com.